Hello and welcome to the 22nd episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. For the past three years, we've had the pleasure of entertaining your ears with interesting stories. But now we are expanding our social media audience by making our podcast also available on YouTube. So if you would like to watch our future podcasts as well as see our monthly guest lectures, feel free to check out our YouTube channel. And with that, I'd like to remind our listeners and viewers that for the month of November and on into April for that matter, we are focusing on inspiring women. And this month, we have the pleasure of showcasing Dr. Claudia Consolati, Assistant Professor of Film, Gender and Sexuality at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia and business coach and founder at the Women Speak Up Project. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here. As per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you were having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. Claudia, would you like to start? Yeah, uh, the drink I'm having for the show is ginger tea. I'm, I'm Italian, but I don't drink coffee, so like I'm a tea drinker. And uh, what inspired me to start the Women Speak Up project um, is that I was an academic. I had just gotten my PhD and you know, something wasn't quite working in some ways, you know, like the years after you finish your PhD are very difficult to be on the job market and like there's a lot of uncertainty. But apart from that, um, there was like kind of like this nagging feeling that I was meant for more, that I had more things to say apart from just like the academic things that I was sharing in my research and in my classroom. And so it was like, okay, I have leadership skills and I've studied the women's studies and feminist theory. And so like, I can apply them to other things. And so what happened is that at the beginning, I started teaching public speaking to women. So I, I took the idea of women speaking up literally. And then that also evolved. And now I'm a business coach. And so I help women, especially women, not just women, but it's targeted to women, women entrepreneurs or women who want to start businesses to, to grow, scale, and build businesses based on their authentic voice and their authentic message so that they can fulfill the, what they were meant to do in the world. Yeah, because um, interestingly, you had reached out to me um, some time back about something slightly different. And um, you had sent me a link to the work that you are doing outside of academia. And what really struck me is this idea of entrepreneurship, which I thought was really interesting. Because uh, I know within my own line of work, um, anthropology is, is one of those things that people don't really understand. And I've told people I've been um, accused, of, <laughs> accused of studying cave art, of being a paleontologist, of being a pediatrician. And those are, those are great things, but that's not what I do. And um, I think in many respects, it makes me think that there's not enough being done, at least within my own discipline, to really demonstrate how, A, what, it, what is it? Uh, and B, how can it be applied to industry? And I think what's really interesting is that you are taking your background in film and gender and sexuality, and you're going, okay, I've got all these skill sets. How can I apply that so that anyone from any field, any background could benefit from what I have to offer? So with that, I'd be curious to know, what kind of people do you normally work with? So right now I work for the most part with women entrepreneurs who might have a background in other fields, sometimes academia, sometimes corporate, and they want to either start a business or grow and scale their business. And they're feeling that something is not aligning because they're following all these kind of like 
patriarchal rules of how to run a business or how to work more in general. And something is not, it's just not working. There's no flow, there's no creativity, there's no juice. And so my interpretation of that is that what they're doing is not grounded in their authentic voice. So we do all the work to uncover what the authentic voice is. And then we infuse their business, whether they're just starting out or they're scaling to like six figures or multiple six figures. We infuse their voice in everything they do in their business from the content that they create, the value that they give, the offers um, that they put out into the world and how they lead sales conversations, how they attract leads and they and, and convert them. And then also like how they show up on social media or podcasts or media more in general. Part of your work deals with understanding the traumas that have kept women silent for centuries. Can you explain to us what you mean by that? Yeah, so that's kind of like the general framework that encompasses all of my work, both in academia, but also it's what the, the one problem that prompted me to start my own business, helping women find and express their authentic voice. Because I remember this moment, I was teaching in a classroom and I was standing in front of like dozens of people. And I had this moment where I was like, oh, I'm speaking, so verbally I'm saying things, but I'm talking about other people's ideas. And my career was built on that, on talking about other people's ideas and interpreting other people's ideas. And I realized that I was missing in all of that, in all those words, even though it looked like I had a very public profession and that I was in touch with my power and my voice, I was nowhere to be found. So that, you know, and I had studied these things in grad school through feminist theory and women's studies, but that really prompted a sort of like personal healing journey. That was like a breakthrough and then a breakdown. And then there was a lot of like personal inquiry and spiritual transformation too, to find my authentic voice. And that led me to realize that women's voices, even in the best case scenario, even in the case of someone who's professional, like me, who grew up in a family, in a relatively healthy family that encouraged her education. I never really had to work, work. I could only study. Uh, And I consider myself very blessed for that. Even in the best case scenario, my voice was missing because of family reasons, we all have our family stories because of cultural reasons, you know, and we see that all the time in the instance, and this is a trigger warning, but in the instance of like survivors speaking out against sexual abuse, um, they're silenced, they're not believed. So that would be an instance where like on a cultural level, women's voices are silenced. And then something that I talk about also, it's like intergenerational trauma in terms of like the lineage of women coming before us that have been silenced uh, silenced as well. So putting all these three pieces together led me to realize that they're actually deep traumas that we all have on an individual and collective level in terms of like fully owning our voices and putting it out into the world. And so that led me to develop tools and do my own healing that, that now I teach other women so that they can find the voice and then express it through their business. Uh, I developed these tools that I now teach other women. I think it's really interesting you mentioned that because one of the things that I think I've become aware of as I've gotten older is that certain environments sort of yield certain sets of expectations. So, and again, I I don't mean this um, in a negative way, but I know it's something you and I had talked about on the phone some months ago. Um, I know when I was living in the Alps um, some years ago, 
And even when I was living further south in, in Florence, one of the things that was a real surprise to me was sort of expectations in terms of what women were to do and not do. And even just uh, the way you carry yourself, the way you cover yourself was also not something that I was accustomed to maybe living in the UK or wherever. And I think that um, those things do have an impact, even if it's not necessarily realized at the time. Or, and even, even just thinking about growing up, my dad used to sort of drill in these terrible, you know, not, he was trying to keep me safe. But one of the things I've noticed is that women are sort of fed these scary stories, right? And, and some people have talked about how, you know, women make really good horror writers or ghost story writers because they are taught these scary stories in order to keep them from getting hurt or getting in trouble. Oh, did you hear about this woman? She didn't lock her door when she got into her car and her stuff got stolen. And, you know, these sorts of narratives, I think, are kind of played into the mindset. And I do sometimes wonder if it kind of feeds some sort of embedded insecurity. Um, if I don't do yeah, X, Y will happen. Um, I know, I know I'm still afraid of the dark. Um, thanks, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, the, and I have a giant dog, which makes me seem like I have a complex. But, you know, these are the things that help me to sleep well at night. I mean, anyone who's met my dog would know that he's all talk. He's pathetic. But, you know, it's, it's this idea that um, we're trying to protect the next generation, but at the same time, there might be additional uh, side effects to that, that maybe, uh, you know, no good deed shall ever go unpunished, right? And with that comes this idea of, am I dressing right? Am I putting on the right amount of makeup? Should I not wear makeup? Hey, you know, am I talking too loudly? Am I not talking too loudly? And I find even, you know, just putting this on YouTube for the first time, um, I I consider myself a relatively confident person, but I think, you know, do I want to have the comments section up? What if we get trolls on there? Do I really care? Do I not care? You know, and, and that's, a, that's an exhausting way to think all the time. Yeah, totally. And that's why, you know, like women have to focus on protecting themselves versus like becoming president or like really like accomplishing goals. And also the, the fundamental flaw there is that, Yes, of course, we should be educated to be careful, but like the real education is about like the other side, right? The people who assault women and, you know, like, and that's not what's being done. We should be dressing differently instead of like having training and educating the boys not to rape women, right? Mm. And um and I see that I've seen it in Italy. I haven't lived in Italy for a long time now, but I see it in the U.S. I live in Philadelphia, which is liberal. So it's relative here, at least in my circles, but like it's definitely present, present here. Um, misogyny, sexism, it's so embedded in the culture that like it's very, we have to reclaim our voice. That's my paradigm for thinking about it outside of the cultural paradigms and frameworks that get imposed onto us and peeling kind of like back the layers of all the cultural and familial messages that we've received acknowledging that the intention might have been good so it's not to point the finger at anyone but we have to reclaim ourselves in that process yeah and also what you're saying about insecurity and i think about imposter syndrome a lot of course we live in a society that undervalues women and not just women like all sorts of minorities and of course we have imposter syndrome also because we're trying to fit into systems that are not devised for us. I can talk about like, you know, the lack of maternity leave, for instance, in the US, you know, we're, they're created for us to fail, 
Mm. And we, we beat ourselves up and we develop imposter syndrome because we're trying to fit into systems that are devised for us to fail. And I think it's interesting you mentioned that because when I had my daughter a couple of years ago, um, I, had, I grew up in the US and I, I moved to um, the UK slash EU when I was 24. And so that was a while ago, um, did math. Anyway, um, when I had my daughter, I remember um, I'd gotten a book contract about three months after she was born and I was exhausted. I mean, and it's not like I was writing some easy peasy fairy tale. It was like a super mm-hmm. complex theory book on nationalism and just on a good day makes me want to bash my head against the wall, but I appreciate it. But I was tired and yeah. it was almost sort of expected from like American colleagues that of course you would just start doing it right now you should be so appreciative that you have this con you know contract i thought i am appreciative but i'm not sleeping i'm epileptic and even if i wasn't epileptic i still need sleep and i in the end i waited a month and a half and i can tell you with hindsight that was way too early and I, interestingly, the medical professionals that came to our house to check to see how I was doing, check to see how my daughter was doing, were surprised that I went back to work so early because from their perspective, they thought I was going to take at minimum eight months off because that's kind of standard here. Um, mm-hmm. And because I'd grown up in the US, I kind of in my mind created a sort of compromise. And also I didn't want to, to disappoint the publishing house. It's like, I knew I had a kid. I knew that I deserved to get rest, but it's this need to please, even though I was exhausted. So I started working on this book and I was tired all the time. And I, it took me ages, like months for me to finally get in the right headspace. And I thought if I had been in the US with it by three, three months, I would be expected to go back to work full time and have the mental capacity to think and function like somebody who doesn't have a kid. And I, I find that I try to explain it to people here and they're shocked. And yet, like you said, the system's designed to, to keep you from progressing. And I don't really know how you fix white, that. If you're Sorry, not a go white on. Guy. If you're not a white male. Mm. You know, right. Or sometimes I wonder if you're any male for that matter. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, um, I mean, guys feel bad by any means, but um it is interesting how different different countries kind of respond to certain situations in different ways, and then it propels different responses. Um, and I guess I guess one of the things I'd be curious to know is what is the biggest challenge you found that women and some of the men that you work with face when it comes to starting their business, whether that be family issues like having children or maybe a variety of other circumstances they're dealing with. So they might come to me thinking that it's something about strategy. You know, they don't know the right tools. They don't really know what to do, but that's not the real problem because the strategy is easy. You figure out what you want to say. You say it over and over again. You figure out what you offer. You attract clients and you convert them. So like, it's super easy. It's like almost too easy and you just have to do it over and over again. The challenge is to put yourself out there. The women I work with and some of the men too, um, they really want to create a business that it's not just a business, you know, selling like my favorite example of a business, not like the one I run is like, if you're selling like leopard print scrunchies, right. It's like you're selling a product and that's one thing, but like the business that I run and that the women I work with run is very connected to their heart. It's very connected to their purpose. So like, it's kind of like the mission in the world and making the switch from a way of living. That's maybe like fully in academia, 
spirit to like embodying your mission fully standing in your power and sharing it with the world that transition is incredibly challenging it's possible like totally possible you know i'm a living proof that that's possible my clients are proof that's possible but like there's a there are visibility wounds that are connected to the voice traumas that come up and that need to be worked through and that's why i do a lot of like mindset and confidence work mm-hmm. as well um to make sure that like my clients are supported based on my own experience and all the work that i had to do to heal from the traumas of living in a society that doesn't foster women's voices and doesn't promote women's voices it strikes me that you have to wear a lot of hats that you're not just somebody with an academic background or somebody with a background and start you know launching businesses, but you also have to be a psychologist as well. You have to be a mentor. You have to be a coach. Could you unpack that a bit? Yeah. So some of it is, uh, so I love all of that. I love that I get to do different things and they're all part of my vision. So it's like, I have a vision. It's my voice. It's my brand. If you want to use more business terms and then all these things fall under that. And that's what I help women create. Uh, So Part of it is like my personality. I'm definitely multi-passionate and creative. So I never fully identified with the idea of having one job or being the expert on one thing uh, because it didn't feel true to me. I felt like I was cutting off parts of myself versus like, let me find my voice and create a business based on that so that I can be everything uh, under what truly matters to me. In terms of the different hats, Yes, I totally do. I mean, there's the academic work. And then like in my coaching business, my title is coach. But yeah, I do. I'm a little bit of a therapist when it comes to unpacking the traumas and like the wounds and all that's there. Um, Mentor and coach. Yeah. Uh, So it's a combination of things. I do also a lot of like we work a lot on the content that they put out online. So I do stuff that I love, like editing their writing pieces and but it's like in short format so a lot of my skills that I gained in academia and grad school but also being a professor is stuff that I use in my business as well but I have done a lot of I mentioned that it was on a healing journey I love therapy personally I have done a lot of therapy in terms of like finding my authentic voice I have worked with a lot of coaches and within group programs as well and I've learned a lot of tools that are really part of my toolbox and how I show up and how I support clients now and I love so like I would guess that there might be academics who are multi-passionate uh I'm gonna raise my hand a little bit just like yeah totally right and so like also part of like how the system is set up is that you have to become an expert in one thing right and academia is very much based on that and I'm what I say and what I had to do for myself to really feel fully self-expressed is like that doesn't work for me. And it took a lot of courage to just realize that and kind of acclaim that. And I'm like, okay, what does truly matter to me? What is the big problem that I see in the world that matches my skills? And it was really this problem of women's voices. So then I was like, okay, that is my voice. I'm going to create a business and a brand based on that. So embodying all that I am, also my creative side that wasn't expressed in academia at all. Not at all, but like not as much. And I'm super creative and I express my creativity through social media and my photos and my posts now. And I was like, I need to embrace all of that to be fully expressed fully in my power. 
Mm. You know, and I think what's really interesting about this, um, the pandemic, which, you know, we could talk about, we won't to a great extent, but I think what has been really interesting, I've noticed, at least in the academic field, but I think it, it applies anywhere in any field, is that it's forced people to tap into their creative side. Yeah. So I found quite a few colleagues that have become uh, like Zumba coaches, um, <laughs> they become bakers, they um, may have started a podcast like myself, they have have been able to sort of rediscover those passions within themselves that maybe they didn't have the time. Um, they felt like there were too many hours in the day and now they're trying to find ways to fill in the hours that they do have. And I think in a, in a roundabout sort of way, it's become a gift. Um, it might not have been the prettiest wrapped gift. It might've been a terrifying looking gift, but within that they are using this as a chance to be creative. And I think yeah. The work that you're doing is quite inspiring because you will be giving a talk on the 21st, which yeah. we will be making available to our patrons and then eventually uh, will be available um, sometime later next year uh, for our followers on YouTube. But in the interim, I think um, it's good to know about individuals like yourself and how they were able to take an idea, develop it, and then find a way to market themselves in such a way that it could be helpful to other people. So you weren't just sitting at home going, I've got all this stuff to give, where do I put it? Yes, totally. And like, it took, you know, I would say like, I thought a lot about it. It's like, am I special, right? Why was I able to accomplish this? And I don't think I'm special. I think, I think I you're special. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. But I have a lot of grit. Like I don't give up. I always had this feeling that I think many can relate to, especially during the pandemic, that there was more. I was meant for more. It's, it was almost a feeling that the four walls of the classroom um, felt a little constricting. Now, I didn't have any examples. I Now I have a lot of examples around me and I'm in different circles. But when I was finishing grad school, I had no examples. My examples were like, academics, Ivy League academics. So like what's more, most remote from like branding that you can imagine. And I was just like, I just need to follow the breadcrumbs. And it took a little bit because I had, the breadcrumbs led me to my own healing first and discoveries. And then the creative element kicked in. And I was like, I'm meant to create things. And like, there's a bigger picture here because like, we see kind of like right now because of the pandemic and all the political changes that are happening, we see an old system crumbling. Mm. And I really believe that women are an untapped resource. So like there is a bigger purpose, almost like a spiritual mission in what I do, because like I had to find my voice so that through my company and my voice, I can create the world that I want to see. I wasn't born to fit into an existing box or system, especially a system not built for me to thrive. I was born to build a different system because I want to see a different society. And like, I feel so lucky that I get to work with women that want to do the same. And I can like, because of my journey, I can guide them. I can guide them along. And in this respect, you talked about the pandemic and what I like to say, of course, very tragic, but the pandemic is a portal. Mm, absolutely. Portal. And I, I want to make that clear. You know, it's, it's not that I thought the pandemic was a bonus. Oh, right? no, I, I didn't get that. Impression. No, but I, I think that, you you know, the way you're describing it is, is very accurate. Yeah. And if for those who are listening, who are like, oh, finally, I have time to knit. I have time to bake. I have time to like start writing that novel. Like, I think that's fantastic. 
And if you have the feeling that there's more, that your novel is not just something for your free time, that your baking is not just something for your free time, but what about there's a different, what about, what if there is a different way of living? Mm. Then you have to follow that. It's not just about baking in your free time. Maybe there's a whole different way of living available so this- to you. So this is interesting. I know this wasn't in the, the questions that I gave you yesterday, no, but, I, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, do you find that the work that you're doing running this business actually kind of fuels you in, in your day job, if that makes sense? It's like, like I find with podcasting, you know, I, I do this as, as, as something fun that I enjoy, but I find that when I go back to writing my book, it's like it gave me the energy to be like, okay, yeah. nationalism, let's do this. Like, it just it, <laughs> it gives me that creative, like, kick in the pants that I needed. That if I was just doing the same thing every day, I'd be depressed, I'd be sad, yeah. I'd be hard. I don't know. I'd just be curious to know your thoughts. For me, it's a little bit different because I, I cannot do things that I'm not excited about. And I, I always do what I want, and somehow it works. Um, so like I had to kind of like transform my teaching to be included in my brand about finding your voice. So like the way I show up in class has changed because I am in contact with my voice and like whatever I talk about, it's always me under that umbrella brand. And so like I don't see necessarily them as separate because like I having experienced living fully self-expressed I don't think personally, just because of how I am, I would be able to do something that doesn't feel in alignment. And like, even now I was thinking this morning about something that I need to do with my website and like, I don't want to do it. Like, you know, that like, that like drains me even just the mere thought of it. And I'm like, I'm going to hire it out. You know, like I'm not available to do things I don't want to do, which sounds radical, especially Mm -hmm. for a woman because we are trained to please. We're trained to be the, the good girls. And actually relating to pleasing that you mentioned it earlier, like there's a mantra that I have, which is to trade pleasing for pleasure. Mm. And pleasure is a radical act. Again, because we are trained to cater to others versus like focusing on our own self-fulfillment. And you're selfish, isn't it? Right? Don't yeah, want to oh, it's selfish, totally. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? I'm sorry not to cut you off. I remember my dad used to tell me, or even my mom, actually, maybe it was my mom. Sorry, dad. Um, it's okay to be a little bit selfish. Like I remember them telling me that and I, I kind of used that as my balance. It was like when that need to please is like exhausting. I'm just way too tired. I think sometimes it's okay to be a little bit selfish. Don't want to be too yeah, selfish it's, though, right? It's kind of sad that it's even framed as selfish. Yeah. For women, yeah, like, yeah. would it be... Would it be framed as selfish for men? Probably not. If they go out and play like tennis with the boys or like whatever they do, <laughs> whatever guys yeah. do, right? It's not framed as selfish. It's like, oh, boys time, whatever, right? Boys will be boys. They yeah, do. exactly. Whatever. They need the time, which is true. It's normal. Like for us, it's tr- It's framed as selfish and it's so unfair. It makes me so angry <laughs> and it's so unfair. And I had to also get in touch in my own journey with my own anger and my own grief, because we're also taught to repress our emotions. Mm. And I was like shut down. Mm. I was living from my neck up, had no, wasn't really aware that I had a body and I wasn't in touch with my emotions. I was trained to be like the good girl. And I had to tap into, which was like scary, tap into my rage, tap into my grief, tap into my joy and pleasure at the same time, which weren't fully available to me because I wasn't in touch with the other sides. Mm. 
I mean, that's something I think I found quite helpful when I did art therapy and I won't get into the details, but as a discipline, one of the things I thought was really interesting is that the therapists that I work with, they, they would give me this big um, white piece of paper and a pencil. And I, I didn't have a prompt. They said, just, just fill in the space. And the stuff that would come out, it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And it was stuff that I didn't even know bothered me. And, you know, obviously not to go into details, but I would see things on the paper and go, it was, it was like it took my breath away and it kind of scared me a bit, but then it was like, but it's there now, it's in my face. Now I see it, now I know. And then once I drew that, it was like, okay, now we can work on how to work our way through whatever that particular incident is or series of incidences and and I think it really speaks to the power of, of having a good therapist, of having a, mm -hmm. a person that you feel comfortable talking to. And I think your job as an educator, I think one of the plus sides that comes with being in that position is that you learn how to develop trust. And I think trust is such an important aspect to having a client relationship in business. If yeah. somebody doesn't feel comfortable talking to you about whatever their concerns are, then, then you've, you've lost that client. So I guess if we could segue a bit, because I know we've got quite a diverse audience, what are some of the tips that you give to both men and women to help them to become more confident when trying to promote their business? Yes. So confidence, I like how you phrase it in terms of like, is it genetic or not, right? Mm. I think it's an acquired skill. Uh, and confidence is really like self-acceptance and self-compassion of of you being human right we might have this image of like the confident person on stage right you know like well, th was it they say if you put your hands on your hips yeah the power pose right but like, if you're a woman you put your hands on your hips and you're like you know wonder woman nice. or whatever and it's like well, i don't know i just didn't know where to i don't have pockets so i just <laughs> put them like here yeah the question you like know? what do you do with your hands <laughs> So like I have a slightly different take because I'm all about like authentic self-expression. And for some people, you know, that stands that kind of like more extroverted forward stance is good. But for others, like they just need to be themselves and they're like naturally magnetic by being themselves. So the work that I do is kind of deep. I, I, I am a deep person. So like I tried at the very beginning of my business to teach the tips to confidence and it doesn't work that way. Uh, for me, at least, and my clients. So we do the work together to unpack the layers of messaging and conditioning that they've received, maybe the traumas also that they've, they've had and that they've shut down and tried to cope with. And then we find self-love and self-compassion and the ability to accept yourself, whether you do an amazing job promoting yourself, whether you bomb that video on Facebook or Instagram, whatever happens, whether you get trolls in the comments, whatever happens, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You just need yeah. to be able to be by your side. So how can you become your friend? That's what confidence is mm. for me. So basically more like a, like a self-love sort of thing. Yeah. I would say self-love, even like also self-love feels like daunting sometimes because like, you know, in an ideal case, we're loving ourselves all the time, but that's like not realistic in some ways. It's more like self-acceptance of whatever goes on and understanding that you have this voice that needs to be heard and you need to believe that 
because it can help people and understanding that you have this bigger mission that needs to be heard as well. And so despite the fear, you're going to promote yourself anyway. Mm. And then at some point working together, there's a switch that goes on where it's like, oh, I'm afraid and I'm doing it anyway to like, oh, me promoting myself online is a celebration. I am an embodiment of life force. And actually I'm inspired by feminist theory in this case. I use uh, Audre Lorde's essay, The Power of the Erotic. Uh, the erotic, they use the erotic, the erotic as power because like, she talks about the, the erotic energy in the body, right? And it's not just sexual energy. It's about like being, it's creative energy. So it's about being the embodiment of life force. And so there's a switch that goes on where like self-promotion becomes just like the expression of life itself and it's that's it that's the moment gosh that's really interesting so I guess um and I I know you already tapped into this um would you say that self-confidence then is is basically something that can be taught as opposed to something that's already ingrained within ourselves yeah totally it can be taught you have to be willing to go through the journey um and it's not it's not linear and there's highs and lows it can totally be taught I think that's reassuring for a lot of people. Totally, totally. And again, it's like, it almost starts with that instinct that you, something is quite, not quite right. And you're kind of like meant for more. Mm. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, I know it too, because I I was like, it became so loud that I couldn't ignore it anymore. And kind of like the end Mm. of grad school is what prompt, the end of like the bubble is sort of like, and all of a sudden I was by myself uh, that prompted kind of like everything kind of exploded for me. And I was like, okay, everything is exploding. So maybe like I'm meant to follow. Yeah, this absolutely. Trail of breadcrumbs. Yeah. And why not give it a go? Um, one of the things you also focus on your project is teaching um, both men and women purpose and impact. How do you go about teaching those things? And what does having purpose and impact look like? Well, purpose is like, again, like going back to the sense of more, there's more. If you have that instinct, you're probably not living your purpose, right? And I call it, we can call it purpose or I call it voice. And what's interesting there is that like, it might manifest professionally, you know, you're not, don't have a job that lights you up or you're meant to be an entrepreneur and you're not following that because you don't have any examples of that, but also what we discover, so they might, people come, might come to me to find their purpose and find their voice. But what we discover is that also like their voice is not expressed in other areas of their life, maybe in their relationships or uh, friendships, right? Or even in their relationship with themselves. So we kind of like do that parallel job of uncovering the voice in both areas and then figuring out what they're really meant to create. So the purpose is very creative instead of like finding a job and fitting into again, the pre-existing box, you kind of like create the world that you want to see. And I'm speaking from my experience. I believe it's probably also possible to find purpose within an existing job. Um, I have more of an entrepreneurial mindset. I'm meant to be an entrepreneur, but I think it's totally possible even if you don't have the entrepreneurial drive. And impact is connected to purpose. I mean... For me, impact, it is still tied to business. For me, impact is standing in my full power and being a role model in my work, but also like in how I promote myself online for other women. And so that we can move society forward and start to create different systems. So like 
I can't wait to, to have a team. I can't wait to be the leader of my, I'm already kind of like the CEO of my company, but like to manage people and set an example of the leadership that I so wanted to see and I haven't seen yet, right? And I'm not going to be perfect and it's always like a huge learning curve, everything I do, but like I can't wait to see that. And that is impact, setting the example for the world that you want to see. And I think another whole other topic, but for women especially being empowered around money, I also realized that I wanted to make a lot more money than what was available for, to me through academia. And I had to like do a lot of work, a lot of money mindset work to really feel empowered around money, around spending money, investing money, uh, using money and making money and receiving money, like a lot of money. And, you know, it's almost like in academia, it's almost like not acceptable to talk about money. No, it's, it, it yeah i mean i've got to be careful on the job hunt but you know i i think that there's sort of i think i have to be very careful about this but i think in academia yeah. it's it's times are tough right now anyway and funding's really hard to come by so it's almost in some respects it's like you need to be happy with what you have i think that's kind of the the generic sort of message that's that's being sent um and i, I i'm a it puts us in a difficult position because at the same time, we need to make sure we have a roof over our heads and we need to make sure totally. that there's consistency in that and, and that we're not getting underpaid as opposed to where we could possibly get paid. You know, we do have, have a lot of these jobs that have ranges and sometimes, you know, you're going to be at the bottom. So, um, you know, there's no real room for negotiation, I think is what I'm trying to get at. And I've noticed that in industry sectors, there obviously outside of COVID situations, this is very different, but genuinely speaking, you can be flexible. And that was something that I found was really interesting within my own job search is applying for industry jobs and then realizing that I could negotiate. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, you can do that? And, and I remember talking to family members and they're like, yeah, you, you do realize you are worth this. And that blew my mind. Like I've been in the system for so long, I didn't know that, that I could actually say, I would feel comfortable with name your number. And I remember the number that I gave, I was like, I can't believe I gave that number. I can't believe they're still talking to me. And, and that was really empowering, right? Because it was like, yeah, oh totally. my gosh. I love like, that. What? I had just asked, I just said that. And uh, realizing that I actually could have asked for a lot more. And I think that that's really interesting, right? Um, and I don't know, I'm just be curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, so like what I have like uh, a theory on women and money, because like, we were property until not that long ago. You know, not only we didn't have money, we were owned. Uh, that's still in our system. And so I had to realize for myself that that was going on in my system, that I, we all have inherited that culturally in some way. Uh, that idea that like we didn't have agency around money at all, right? And like uh, the best that could have happened to us like a hundred years ago was to marry well. That's how we would mm. get money, right? Through a proxy basically, right? So like, it is hard to own our worth. Even in best case scenario, like I come from a privileged family, um, it's hard. And I had this realization at one point, I was like, in my relationship with money, I wasn't like super disempowered around it, but I knew there were like so many next steps that I could take. Also because I wanted to make more money. And 
yeah so I have to own that and I realized it was still some sort of like weird attachment of not trusting myself fully with money along with like the self-worth piece I'm not worth my work is not worth all that much right mm. um and I had to kind of like disentangle myself from all of that and it, it's scary it's scary work because you're like it's almost like you feel I felt like I was gonna die like on a on a physiological level because I'm like I'm gonna mess it up you know I'm gonna invest my money the wrong way um or how I do I charge do- people without putting them off like I know that's a big thing that I do right with. and now like you know I've gotten to a point where like I need to charge more and I already charge a lot right mm. and I love having money conversations I love charging money. I love charging thousands of dollars. I could charge a lot more for my coaching. Um, yeah, and I had to get here. So like, I look maybe very empowered around money. I had to get here. Get here. It wasn't mm. easy. So I totally, I can totally relate to your story of like naming this big number that you probably could have named. I was terrified. Before. I was like, yeah, oh my terrified. god! I told my husband, I was like, I, I put this number down. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's terrifying. And also like giving ourselves, you know, and we're judging ourselves for it, but it's, it's not our fault. Yeah. Yeah. Being very, I think like compassion, it's like, and sisterhood and other women cheering you on and not just women, you know, like men can be very supportive too. So like, Oh, absolutely. And I think yeah. maybe realizing, cause I think I was quite terrified that I was being greedy and I was, Brilliant. and I was dancing in my head. Like I, I actually, my, I went a little bit lower because there were a lot of reasons for it, but I went a little bit lower. We're in the middle of pandemic and da, da, da. Yeah. But um, I remember talking to uh, my brother-in-law about it and he had said, you know, there is that fine line, you know, even for men, even for anybody of, of wanting to demonstrate that you're confident in what you do and that you know what you're worth within a particular industry. Each industry is going to be able to, you know, offer different sums, fair. Um, but, you know, there is a dance you have to pay between being confident in what you think you're worth, but not being a little too confident that you come across as greedy. And, and I think men have to be careful of that as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is tricky. And I think, I think we all sometimes have to learn from our mistakes as well. So. And also connected to that, there's also the pleasure piece where it's like, no, maybe I want like a lot of, so for instance, like my, I had to realize that money was connected to voice, that me fully owning my voice and my power meant that I needed to be fully empowered around money, which meant that I needed to trust myself 100% with money in terms of charging and receiving and investing and all of that. And that was scary because I also work with therapists and coaches and I invest a lot of money in that, right? Without asking for permission. And it's like, it was terrifying at the beginning. Now I wouldn't go without a coach or multiple coaches, but like, it's terrifying. But also like understanding that we can enjoy money. You know, like I know that like the money I have and I will make, I'll invest in causes that I really care about. So I'll put them to good use. But also like, what's wrong with enjoying money? Mm. You know, and like yeah. the stigma around that too, right? It's the pleasure piece, what about like, why are we greedy if we, we want money, right? And uh, I think this is true for both men and women, uh, but we carry the weight of this negative reframing more, I feel. That's interesting. 
Well, before we wrap up, um, I guess what I'd be curious to know is what are the long-term benefits of helping people to find their authentic voice and how has that been applicable to business? Yeah, totally. So on a personal level, you just like live in full alignment with yourself. So you're fully self-expressed, fully in your power, which means that you're not always like 100% confident, but you can navigate the ups and downs of life with the way my therapist says it with your interior matching your exterior so it's not that there's a conversation going on in your inner life that you're not expressing in your outer life they're just like congruence uh between the two the two levels right but then you turn that so i'm not okay with just that i want people to find their voice and make money from it. So from that, we create the foundation of a really wildly successful business so that they they can make a living out of it, not just decide a hustle or whatever. Like I'm in for businesses that make a lot of money and are sustainable so that you can do them full time and make that your career so that you create the world that you want to see. So it's really like, and you can become an example yourself for other women or like, you know, whatever population you want to address. I'm sold. That's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dr. Ann Wand. I'd like to thank Dr. Claudia Consolati for joining us at the studio this afternoon. Additional information on today's topic will be available in the show notes. In the meantime, stay tuned for more information on Dr. Consolati's guest lecture coming up on Saturday, November 21st. Information will be available on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for those of you who are a little bit bummed that Halloween is over, consider contributing an article to our blog, where from now until February, we will be publishing articles on winter festivals, traditions, and magic. We've also decided to send our listeners and viewers some holiday cheers. So if you'd like us to send you a Krampus Christmas card, check him out if you don't know who he is. In honor of St. Nick, send us your address and we'll happily mail you one over. Otherwise, many thanks to our new patron supporters, Nikkei, Tabia, and Bindu for joining the Coffee and Cocktails family. If you enjoy the show, please feel free to support our podcast by becoming a patron, where for as little as one pound per month, you can get early access to episodes as well as live guest, guest lectures and much, much more. It's contributions like yours that help our team to keep the show going. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.